Morning, everybody. Morning. How are we doing this morning? Okay, I guess. Okay. <laughs> good. Wow. Jeez. All right. Well, it's it's uh, good to see all of you this morning. It's good to be gathered together uh, to worship the Lord and to be able to uh, hear from His Word. Uh, if if you don't know me, my name is Tom Wing. I'm one of the team of uh, uh, pastors here, and I'm just I'm grateful to. Uh, be able to serve and, and uh, help, help lead here uh, at Infusion Church. We're in, a, we're in a series right now called Church Life. Uh, we're going to be talking about biblical community for the glory of God. Our text is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. We'll read that in a little bit. Um, but before we do that, we're going to talk about community Today, obviously, and before we get too far, I, I want to kind of give us a few markers uh, of what biblical community is or, or, or what it looks like. And you're going to hear me use that word community over and over and over again. And that, that's a common word uh, that you hear here at, at Infusion. So I, I want you to track uh, with me what I mean. So uh, I'm not talking about us starting a, a commune or, or, or anything like that. That's, that's not where I'm going. And this isn't meant to be a, a complete definition of of what biblical community is uh, or what it looks like, but I, I just kind of want to give you a picture in your mind of, of what I'm talking about so you can, you can sort of uh, follow with me uh, where we're going here. So uh, some of the markers of biblical community. A group of people whose lives have been and are, and are being wholly transformed by Jesus Christ. They acknowledge it is only by God's grace alone as displayed in Jesus Christ's sacrificial life, death, and resurrection that they can be reconciled to God and enjoy healthy relationship with God, their Heavenly Father. They pursue holiness through the, through the work of Jesus and motivated by the work of Jesus, they desire to obey the commandments of God and, to seek, and they seek to continually grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Savior, Jesus Christ. They aim to apply the redemptive work of the gospel of grace and truth to every aspect of life. They live life prioritized for the glory of God. They encourage fellow Christians to become more and more like Jesus. And they share the life-transforming good news about Jesus with people in their sphere of influence. Finally, they acknowledge their need to never stop pursuing healthy, growing relationship with God, with one another, and with people in their sphere of influence. That was a lot. Right there, right? And we have tried to kind of condense that down into our mission statement. And that's kind of what we're getting at with our mission statement, which Matt had up there earlier and will be up here on the screen. But it's leading people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. And so this is what we want to do. That's kind of what we're all about. And if we're going to lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family, there's a built-in aspect of community right there. So, so you may ask, why do we, why do we use these words like, like community? We see a community of believers. Why do we say them so often? Why do we say things like, you did not come to church this morning. You are the church. And why do we have missional communities or, or crowded houses, which Shem just talked about a little bit? If you don't know what a crowded house is, it's a group of people who join one another in, in walking through that life-changing relationship with Jesus together. and we're, We encourage one another uh, in that setting to love God, 
love one another well, and love their community well. Why do we have DNA groups? If you don't know what a DNA group is, it's a group of two or three guys or, or two or three ladies who spend time together for discipleship, nurture, and accountability. And ideally, and this doesn't always happen this way, but ideally these will happen in the context of, of those crowded houses where people naturally build relationships with one another. And then those kind of can flow into these DNA groups where people are able to connect on, on an even more intimate, kind of a, a smaller level. And why do we gather together on a, on a Sunday morning? We, we could be sleeping in or at the pool or watching a game or something. Well, why do we do all these things? And why are we trying to build all of these things that I just mentioned into our identity as a church? The reason that we're looking at the text we're looking at today in 1 Peter is because it gives us kind of a, a picture of who we are to be as a community. And we're going to attempt to answer that question this morning. Why is community so important to our spiritual life and the life of the church? Now, before we get there, before we answer that question, I want to be honest with you about the motivation behind what I'm saying this morning. The, the idea, this idea of, of community, I think, is something that is, that is attractive to most people. I think most of us would agree with that. And as uh, I speak to so many different people, I find that everybody wants community, right? Everybody desires that. But it seems that so many people are frustrated because they're not finding what they think they're looking for. And that includes me being frustrated. Now, I have to admit that I have at times been extremely frustrated, saying things like, God, I want to have biblical community. I know that I need it, but it just doesn't seem to work out like I imagined it would, God. And it just frustrates me that I just can't make it happen like I want it to. Why can't it just work out the way I need it to, God? And so I, I just get frustrated when I don't get what I want. Now, I believe that God has taught me a few things in the midst of, of that frustration. And, and to be honest with you, if I wouldn't have been so frustrated, I probably wouldn't, would have never learned uh, any of these things. And so I thank God for that. It's easy to thank him for it on the flip side of it, isn't it? So I'm grateful for it. First of all, here's what I see. And I'm going to speak in some generalizations this morning. So if it fits, wear it. If not, just, just let, it, let it pass on by. But most people, to include me, want the benefits of community. But not many understand what it takes to have community or what it costs. And we're going to talk about the cost of it later. And I think that this stems from a fundamental misunderstanding of the purpose of the church. Many Christians, and, and I certainly have, have fallen into this camp as well, many people think that the church exists primarily to serve them. And whether we admit that we believe that or not, I think oftentimes our posture toward the church indicates that we do believe that and act in that manner. And I want to kind of challenge that, that way of thinking this morning and submit that the church doesn't exist just to serve us. Rather, it may be more proper to say that we exist to serve the church community. So when I say the church, I don't just mean infusion church. I mean the church that Jesus died for. Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. That's not just talking about infusion church. 
Although that would be cool if there was a verse in the Bible that was just about Infusion Church. That would be awesome. But he's talking about the spiritual family of God for all time. What Jesus laid his life down for. Tracking with me still? Are we good here? Okay. All right. A couple heads nodded, so at least a couple people are good. <laughs> Secondly, I've noticed that we, including me, we often get frustrated when the things that we're passionate about are not happening in our community. So, for example, you, you may desire to feed the homeless and the hungry in your community. And, and that's a great desire, and that can be used for the glory of God. What happens is it becomes frustrating when everyone else in your community is, is not ambitious about the same thing that you are. And it's tempting to say, well, you know, we just don't have the same passions here. Uh, so, you know, I think I'll find a, a different group of people who share my passion, my desire. The problem with, with that way of thinking is, is it doesn't see the church as a body functioning together. Romans 12 uh, verses 4 and 5 tell us this. They say, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so this scripture from Romans 12 and others talk about the church as, as a body where each individual part is essential to the proper function of the whole body together. And so when I'm frustrated that everyone is not passionate about what, what I'm passionate about, it, it's, it's like I'm a hand, and I'm looking at the body saying, there's, there's just no hands on that body, so I can't be a part of it. But here's the truth, and, and here's the issue that I have with that, is we're a body with, with no hands, and you're a hand, then we need you. We need you. If you have a passion for something that, that we don't, then we need you. I want to encourage us this morning to be patient, to be gracious with one another as we grow in this. And at the same time, acknowledge that we do need one another. And if we're going to function as God intended us, like a body working together, then we're going to need some grace, and some love with one another in the midst of that. We're going to need some patience with one another. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. That's sort of kind of what has motivated me to move in this direction. Here's where I hope we're going. I want us to value authentic biblical community. And I want us to see that we're made for it. That it's essential to the life of the church and our individual spiritual well-being. I also want us to be real about it, to step into reality and acknowledge that walking with God is living in a battle zone, and the scripture teaches us that, and community is no exception. There are roadblocks that will try to trip us up. There are things that will try to confuse us and, and to frustrate us and to slow us down as we pursue biblical community. But by God's grace and, and through the redemptive work of Jesus, we can enjoy being part of a healthy community of believers that lives for the glory of God, that encourages our fellow believers towards spiritual maturity, and that shares that life-changing good news about Jesus with our neighbors or people in our sphere of influence. But let me be clear this morning, I don't pretend that I have all of the answers by any means, and I don't pretend to think that we're going to find all of the answers today or alleviate all of our frustrations today, but my hope 
is to keep us moving in the right trajectory. And I think we are moving in the tra right trajectory. And hopefully answer the question, why is community so important to the Christian life? I think the best place to do that is to look at the scripture and see what, what God teaches us in his word. And so let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, verses 9 through 12. I'll read it and pray. That was a long introduction, I know. But I'll read it and pray, and then we'll, we'll kind of break it up a little bit. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Would you pray with me quickly this morning? Almighty God, we are so grateful for who you are and thankful for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Father, that we can have a, a right relationship with you, that we can stand before you clothed, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and enjoy a relationship with God Almighty who created the heavens and the earth. Father, and that because of what you have done for us in Jesus, God, you not only have reconciled us to you, but you are reconciling uh, our relationships with one another in this earth, God. So we thank you for that. We thank you for your word and what you teach us in it. Lord, we desire to have a healthy biblical community that glorifies you in the earth, God. Help us, we pray. Guide us in that, Lord, as we uh, pursue you and continue to captivate our hearts and draw us near unto you. Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning, come, teach us. Lord, I pray, help me to speak clearly and confidently, Lord, and boldly by the gospel of, of the good news of Jesus and what you have done for us this morning. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. All right, first of all, community is important because we were made for community. We were made for it, and we know that because it reflects the creation order. There's a couple of scriptures in, in Genesis that, that I want to look at that help us with this. Genesis 2.18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Amen. Amen. All right. Yes, indeed. In Genesis 1.28, speaking of Adam and Eve, the the first humans, it says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So from the beginning, there is an emphasis on community. God wanted man to be in relationship. It's not good for man to be alone, God says. And then he tells him, he tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, essentially make other communities. So our very existence depends upon community and God fashioned us so that we would function most effectively when we're not alone, but when we're in relationship with others. And in fact, we're warned about shunning healthy relationships in Proverbs. Proverbs 18.1 says, 
Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Uh, another word for someone who rejects sound, sound judgment would be a fool, right? Because we're foolish if we shun healthy relationships. So we see that we're made for community because it reflects the creation order, but also because it reflects the image of God. God is a relational being, and, and God exists in perfect, eternal community. And we see this in, in Genesis 1 and in John 1. And we're going to look at Genesis 1, but I would encourage you to, to read John chapter 1 on your own later. But Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. All of us were created in the image of God. And being made in, in God's image means that we reflect some of God's attributes. This is not to say that we, we physically look like God, although some of you may think that you look godly, right? <laughs> scripture, scripture teaches us that God is a spirit, and so we reflect him spiritually. And Here in Genesis 1, we see God in, in three persons God the Father, God the Son, or, or Jesus, and, and God the Holy Spirit. That's what we call the, the Trinity. And we see him working in coordinated community to form all of creation. That God had working together. One of the ways in which we bear the image of God is that we dwell within community, just like God does. And so when people see healthy, biblical community that... They're actually watching us display the image of God, our creator. That blows my mind to think, to think that here I am, a human being on this earth, and I get to be part of displaying the image of God Almighty. Finally, we know we were created for community because it's part of our identity. Both the creation example and the image of God example speak to our identity. Community, is, is, it's built into us as part of who we are. It's no wonder that we long for it, that we have a desire for it, because we were made for it. It's, it's our identity. It's part of who we are. And when we look at our, our, our text, we see Peter is, is appealing to our identity also. In verse 9, he's speaking to the church, and he says, You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his, for God's own possession. And the interesting thing about Peter's choice of words is that they all emphasize a corporate identity, right? Race, priesthood, nation, people. Not one of them has to do with individual identity. I think sometimes we can, we can get so wrapped up in the individual relationship with God. And not that that's bad, but we can, in doing so, we lose sight of the fact that God has made us and he's, he's called us to become part of a community of Christ followers. And so it's important that we find our identity both individually and corporately in the kingdom of God. In verse 10, he, he goes on to tell us why we have this identity. He says, once... You were not a people. You, you had no corporate identity. But now you are God's people. You're called to be a community. And then he says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's what makes you who you are. So the last half of that verse tells us about who God is and what he's done for us 
to make this corporate identity possible. It's because God has shown grace and mercy as displayed in Jesus Christ's sacrificial life, death, and, and resurrection. And through what Jesus did, God has reconciled us to himself, giving us an identity that's rooted in him, an identity that's rooted in Jesus. And God restores us to be who we were created to be. And he allows us to properly bear the image of God through that restoration. But just because we're made for community doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And Peter does not try to sugarcoat this for us at all. He's just upfront about it. And so community is important because we're made for it, but also because there's a battle that's being waged. And he, this is discussed in verse 11. Listen to this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And he says, which wage war against your soul. So it's a pretty stern warning from Peter, right? Abstain from the passions of the flesh. They, they wage war against your very soul. And it's crazy for me to think that, that if I'm not careful, the very passions that I have could be waging a war on my soul. That's some pretty, some pretty rough language there. I think it's no mistake that Peter refers to the, the recipients of this letter and, and us as sojourners and exiles. He wants them to remember that their temporary residence in a foreign land, that their identity is not to be wrapped up in, in the place where they dwell, but it's to be wrapped up in who dwells in them. Because he tells them that they are, as verse 10 says, you are God's people. You belong to him. Your identity is found in him because he dwells in you. So it would make sense then that as strangers, they might find themselves at, at odds with the values of, of the society, the, the culture that they live in. And that's exactly what Peter is warning them about. And, and we experience the same thing. Sometimes the values of, of our society, we find are, are, are contrary to the values that, that were taught in Scripture. And so we have this battle going on. We find ourselves in this tug of war between the passions of, of my flesh and, and what my society, my culture says is okay, and, and then the passions of, of the Spirit. And they seem to be butting heads sometimes. So there's this battle of values that's going on. I realize that right now I, I may step on some toes a little bit. But I, my hope is that you will see this coming out of, out of a love for the church and not a disdain for the society that we live in. My desire isn't, isn't to demonize our society or our culture. My desire, in fact, is to see it redeemed for, for God's glory, to see him glorified in it. My goal is simply to point out that we need to walk carefully in the culture in which we live. And I, I want to show you this, this kind of tug of war that's going on here in just a couple examples. There's, there's many, but we'll, we'll just look at two. First one is that our society values individualism. Individualism lends itself to a way of thinking that says things like, I can handle this on my own, I'm good, I got this. I don't, I don't really need anyone else, I can make it work. Or, you know what, I'm just looking out what's, what's best for me. I'm just handling my biz, I'm just taking care of me. This focus is very me-centric in our culture. But community asks us to look beyond our own interests. 
Philippians 2, 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's natural for us to look out for our own interests. That's easy. And I'm not condemning that. And I don't think that verse condemns it. But it, it takes a heart transformation to be preoccupied with the well-being and the needs of other people. Living in community will challenge our tendency toward individualism, toward me. And it will stretch us to see our need for others and our need to serve others. Secondly, our society values consumerism. We are in a consumeristic society most definitely. We choose things based upon the goods and services we'll receive from something, right? For example, I, I choose a restaurant because I like their food. I choose a, an insurance provider because they have good customer service. And that's fine when you're, when you're choosing a restaurant or, or an insurance provider. But it can really rip us off from healthy community if we bring that mindset into the church. Because we're used to being served in our society, aren't we? We are absolutely used to being served. And if I don't get the service that I need, I'm going to let you know about it. Right? Or I won't be back here. Consumerism can lead to a way of thinking that views the church as, as simply an organization that's just meant, here to, meant to serve me. And if it's not providing me good customer service, you know what? Then I'll just find a place that does provide good customer service. The problem is, the church is, isn't a business. And we're not customers. Community asks us to be serving members. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ. All of us, and individually members of it. We are the church. The community of redeemed believers is what makes up the church. And I want to ask you this morning, let's all of us together, let's ask God to change the way that we view the church, not just as an entity that exists to serve me. But I also want all of us to acknowledge that, that I exist to serve the church that Jesus died for for the glory of God and for the spiritual health of my fellow members. I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty this morning for, for being served. Uh, make no mistake, there will be times when every one of us individually need the church to serve us. And, and this church community has served me and has served my family and has served us well. So I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty for that this morning. Here's the cool thing, though. If every one of us is serving and laying down our lives, and everyone will be served. We'll all be served. So not only is there this war of, of values, this battle of, of values going on, but there's also a battle of, of sin and, and isolation. And sin absolutely destroys community. Sin, if I were to define it, I would just say sin is idolatry. Sin is exalting anything above God. And that can take on so many different forms. I've noticed, though, that often... When we sin, our tendency is to isolate ourselves. We already learned from Proverbs that, that isolating ourselves from healthy relationships is foolish. And I'm not saying that if you're not part of a community, then you're obviously a very sinful human being. Don't, don't hear me saying that. But what I am saying is that when you sin, and you, and you will, and I will fall short, I will exalt other things above God. When I do that, the healthiest place for me to be is among a community of gracious believers that will shepherd my heart back toward Christ. The best place I can be. The worst place I can be is isolated from that community. 
I want to illustrate for you what I mean with an example from the scripture. Take you all the way back uh, to the Garden of Eden, back to the beginning. And if you're not familiar with the story, you can read about, about it in Genesis 1. But here we have Adam and Eve, the, the first human beings. They were in perfect relationship, perfect community with God. And then they sinned. Right? God told them, you know what? You can eat of every tree in here, just not this one. Just don't eat from this tree. Seems like pretty simple instructions, right? Just don't eat from this tree. And you know what they did? You know what, God? I think I know better than you do. Right? Idolatry. They exalted themselves above God. You know what, God? I'm going to do what I want to do. And the passion of their flesh caused them to go after the thing that God told them to stay away from. And so they disobeyed. They sinned against God, exalted themselves, made an idol of themselves, exalted it above God. And what did they do? Immediately following, what did they do? They attempted to hide from God, right? Their sin drove them to isolation, and it hindered community with God Almighty. And if you read that story further, if you continue reading on in Genesis, you'll see that this brokenness was then passed on to their children, Cain and Abel. And you'll see that healthy community among all mankind was devastated because of sin. Destroyed community. And we have inherited that same brokenness. And that's why community can really be a struggle for us. Because we're, we're all broken. We're a bunch of sinners who have a tendency to think only about ourselves. And that absolutely includes me. But just because community is, is tough doesn't mean that we should isolate ourselves. In fact, that's the worst thing we could do. God in his grace has provided a means for that community to be restored. That's what the scripture is all about. And the price that God was willing to pay shows the value that he places on the restoration of those relationships and the restoration of that community. And so biblical community is important because God values it. And he shows how much he valued it. We're going to look at the cost of community. And the cost of community was nothing less than the sacrificial death of God's one and only son, Jesus. The verse that we read from 1 Peter 2 tells us that we're God's community of, of people. And it says we are because we have received mercy. And that mercy is displayed in Jesus' death on the cross. Listen to this, what Ephesians 2 tells us. Here's what his, excuse me, here's what his sacrificial death accomplished. Ephesians 2, this is speaking of Jesus. It says he, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's our reconciliation to God the Father. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And then he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now he's talking about our community with one another being restored. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Listen to this. Here's what he does. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So the restoration of the, of the community that, that we were created for and that displays the image of God was so important to God 
that he sacrificed his son in order to restore us to a right relationship with him. And not only that, but Jesus accomplished on the cross the death of hostility among our relationships here on earth. And he makes us fellow citizens and members together of the household of God. If, if we're going to have a healthy biblical community, we must acknowledge that it will on, it'll only happen by the grace of God and through faith in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to restore our relationship. And that right there, that's that work of Jesus, that's what we call the gospel. When we say the gospel, that's what we mean. That work that Jesus has done for us to restore us to the Father and to restore our relationships with one another. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we start to get this gospel message, I mean really get it, like deep down, like it, it grabs it, it will transform the way that, that we see community. And it will transform the way that it looks in our lives and in the church. It's so, so tempting to take just a pragmatic approach to community, to say, okay, you know, what, what can we do to get more people here on a Sunday morning? What can we do to fill this place up? What can we do to get more people in a crowded house? What can we do to get more people involved in DNA groups? Yeah, don't get me wrong, I want more people in all of those areas, but I want them for the right reasons and with the right motivation. And so a, a completely pragmatic approach says, what should we be doing? misses the most important foundational steps. And you'll hear us talk about this often, that everything healthy in our walk with God starts with knowing God and what he's done for us. And so you'll hear us often kind of go through these four steps. Who is God? What has he done? Who are we in light of who God is and what he's done? What's our identity in him? And finally, what should we do? in light of our identity in Christ. And so you see the pragmatic approach, short circuits the first three and just go straight to what should we do. But we then have a tendency to forget about who God is and what he's done and then who we are in him. And it's no different with this text that, that we're tackling today and in the context of, of community here. When you look at 1 Peter, who is God? It says the one who has, has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. What has he done? He has shown his mercy in the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Who are we in light of what he's done? Because of the work of Jesus, we have an identity. The scripture tells us we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. God's people. And finally, what should we do because of who God is and what he's done and who I am in him? Because we have an identity in Christ, we live in such a way that, listen, the end of the scripture says that they, talking about people who don't know Jesus, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. Are you tracking with me? That, I don't, okay. It's the gracious work of Christ in our lives that enables us to be what God has called us to be and to do what God has called us to do. And here's what God has called us to do. Finally, we're, we're going to talk about community is important because Biblical community glorifies God. And that's what it's all about, glorifying God. And it glorifies God because it puts the good news about Jesus on display. 
Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I read a book called Community by Brad House. And in the book, he says this, listen, basically the witness of community is more powerful than an individual witness. Loving your neighbors is much easier if you never have to deal with them. That's the truth. (laughs) Living in light of the gospel is much harder in community where people sin against you. Your neighbors know this, and that is why talk is cheap. Experiencing a people who confess their sins against one another, who repent and forgive, is foreign to the world. Communities that live in this way, transformed by the gospel, will not only have a good reputation among their neighbors, but also they will point them to hope in Jesus. This is a community that has joined the mission of God. My hope is that we will be a community of believers who are that good news, that who are the gospel on display for the world to see. And you know what? This doesn't always look pretty, and I'm not pretending that it does, because you know what? We're not perfect yet. It means there will be offenses and hopefully forgiveness. There will be brokenness and then reconciliation and hopefully lots of love and grace and mercy in the midst of that. And that's what community is. It's life on life. It's the good, the bad, the ugly, leading each other to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. And as we do, it's going to lead us to worship. It's going to lead us to worship. And we'll be doing what Psalm 96.3 says, declaring his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Our response to God's grace and what he's done for us in Jesus is to adore him, is to worship him. And when we worship him, we're declaring his glory. God, you be glorified in the earth and you be glorified in this community. And we're coming together as a community saying, look at this big God. Look what he's done. Look what he's doing. That's why we gather here on a Sunday morning to say, God, you're, you're worthy and to worship you, and to say, look at this God, and to point to him. And we're inviting people to see the reconciliation, and to see the transformation that's happening in our lives, and as imperfect as as that is, and as much of a work in progress as all of us are, and, and we're pointing them to Jesus, and we're saying it's because of Jesus, it's because of Jesus, it's because of what he's done, that you're seeing a transformation take place. And as we do, it's, it's our hope that, that people who don't know Jesus Christ will find out who God is. They'll find out what he's done for them. And they'll place their faith in him. They'll, they'll find their identity in Christ. And they'll worship him. They'll worship him. And God will be glorified. I want to conclude with reminding us that healthy biblical community is essential. Because we were made for it. It's part of our identity. It's part of who we are. And we get to reflect the image of God Almighty as we enjoy relationships with one another. I would like us all this morning to examine our hearts today. And we'll have an opportunity to do this before we take communion. But ask yourself, am I being led by the passions of my flesh? Or am I being led by the passions of the Spirit?
Is my identity wrapped up in Jesus or is my identity wrapped up in something else? Am I preoccupied with my individuality so much so that I lose sight of the well-being of other people because I'm so consumed with me? Am I so concerned with being served that I, I forget that I too have been called to serve and to lay down my life like Jesus did? Have I isolated myself from community in order to keep my sin hidden? If any of those rings true to you, then, then, then I invite you to join me in repentance. I, I've had to repent. For, for taking community for granted. Re repent for being ruled by my frustrations about what I don't see rather than pursuing the biblical community that God wants for me and finding my identity in Him rather than on what I can do or what I think I can create in community. I want to encourage each of us to acknowledge our need for restoration to God and, and the community of believers. And the trust in the, in the gracious work of Jesus Christ to restore not only our relationship with him, but our relationships with one another. Oh, we need that, that grace and that mercy. If we're going to have healthy, authentic, biblical community. And let's enjoy that. We get to be involved in seeing God glorified in the earth. We get to be the bearers of, of the good news of Jesus Christ that's on display for all the world to see. And we get to, just like Psalm 96.3 says, we get to declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous works among all the peoples. We get to be involved in that. And finally, something practical you could do, get, get involved in a crowded house or, or a DNA group. Keep hanging out with us on a Sunday morning. Let's figure out what this biblical community thing looks like together. Let's figure it out together, graciously, lovingly, with one another. Figure out what it looks like for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Hmm, Almighty God, thank you so much, Lord, for what you have done for us uh, in Jesus, Lord. Nothing that we do here matters outside of what Christ has done for us, who you are and what you've done, God, and so that we can have an identity in you through what Christ has done for us, God, and we are so grateful for it, God. My prayer is that it leads us to healthy community, Lord, to a willingness to lay down our lives for your glory and to love one another and to shepherd the hearts of one another toward you so that we can lead each other to and through a life-changing relationship with you and your family, God. We thank you for the privilege to be involved in what you're doing here on this earth, Lord. Continue to glorify yourself in our lives and in this church, Lord. We thank you.